And a pleasant good morning to you on the Daily Dose of Hoops podcast. The holiday season is upon us, and so too is the opener of Big East Conference play for Seton Hall and Providence. That's going to be the focal point of this episode. Jaden Daly here with you, wishing you a happy and healthy holiday season. And if you're a Seton Hall fan, the Pirates have had a shaky non-conference season, but now they head into the Big East slate with a strong test against the Providence Friars Saturday, December 17th, 12:30 tip off in Newark at the Prudential Center. And here to help shed some light on the Friars, the man who has covered this program inside out for the better part of three decades now, used to be at the Providence Journal, now has his own website called Kevin Max Sports. It's KevinMCSports.com. He has now expanded his already vast skill set into the radio end as well, hosting the Kevin Mack Sports Hour weeknights from 5 to 7 on WPRO up in Providence. And that is the legendary scribe and now radio analyst and host, Kevin McNamara, who joins us now. Kevin, it's a pleasure to finally have you on this podcast, my friend. Thank you for coming on and spending some time with us. Well, you're welcome. And Jaden, uh, can you be my agent? That'd be great. I, I would love to. I got to find an NIL opportunity for both of us first, though. <laughs> okay. You know, I know it comes with multiple uh, uh, diamond black cards uh, that we can use with uh, Mr. Zagoria and your other your other fat pals down there in, in New York and New Jersey. I always like coming down there. Uh, there's certain parts of the country that love basketball, love college basketball. One is obviously up here in Rhode Island, but uh, certainly yourself and and the fans down there in uh, New York, it's uh, looking forward to my trip on the weekend. Absolutely. Love having you down here. And we love making the trips up to New England, too. And with that said, Providence comes into the Big East season at eight and three. The Friars will take on Seton Hall. It's their Big East opener, too, after a strong end to the non-conference campaign. Mm-hmm. Winners of five of their last six, the Friars, the one loss at TCU in the Big East Big 12 battle. Picked up a win on the road at URI at the Ryan Center. Blew out Manhattan and Albany to go into conference play at eight and three. Kevin, what were your impressions of the Friars through this first month and a half and how Ed Cooley has mitigated the potential Biddy's championship hangover and Sweet 16 appearance from last season with a relatively newer cast of characters and somewhat of a younger team, albeit a more experienced unit? Most of these guys did play last year. Yeah, no, you got it right, Jaden. Uh, first of all, the Friars are defending champs, but uh, it's a different team. They basically have two returnees, really three who played, but but two key returnees. Uh, one is Ed Croswell, the big guy inside, and the other is Jared Pynum. Uh, that said, they brought in a really good group of transfers uh, and one good freshman from your neck of the woods in Jaden Pierre. So uh, it, it is, it's a mix of old and young, uh, but largely it's inexperienced. He, their best player this year is Bryce Hopkins. He's the transfer from Kentucky. Well, he didn't play very much for Cal at all last year. So he, he's not a freshman because he did play in some, some big time games at Kentucky, but you know, n- never once played more than 20 minutes in a game. So he, he, he's a freshman plus, I guess you'd say. Uh, Devin Carter has been their most consistent player. He was all SEC freshman last year at South Carolina. Uh, I- impact player, outstanding defender. Uh, so to mix, and they have some super seniors. Uh, Noah Locke played three uh, years at Florida, one year at Louisville. So he's been around the block. And Clifton Moore was one of the very best big guys in the Atlantic 10 last year. So Locke and Moore are, are fifth year guys. Hopkins and Carter, as I said, are inexperienced sophomores. 
And then uh, two good freshmen, uh, both from New Jersey. One is Jaden Pierre, who I know you know well. And then Rafael Castro, uh, really intriguing big guy. I'm not sure if you get to see him at all as a uh, as a high school player down there. He, he was at in Dover, New Jersey, at a public school, really under the radar. And then COVID hit, so he was super under the radar. Uh, where do you see this guy? You know, the 6'10", 6'11", can run, handle the ball. Uh, probably their most talented player, but, uh, you know, very raw and inex inexperienced. So how do you bring this all together? That's been Ed Cooley's focus. And he, he tried something very different this year. And I wouldn't say it backfired because the Friars are, you know, they're fine. They're in a good spot at eight and three. Um, their schedule is really, really toned down. And I believe in Ken Palm, it's like 300th in the country. So it was the weakest non-conference schedule among the Big East teams that they had basically three up games and they lost them all. They lost to Miami by 10. They lost to St. Louis at the buzzer. And as you said, they lost to TCU on the road. Every other game has been against a team that probably will not have a chance to make the NCAA tournament, maybe Ryder in the MAC in a very competitive MAC. So, you know, what does Ed Cooley have? I, I think he likes his team. He knows they're not whole yet. They're not together yet. They're going to have to certainly need some growth uh, in the Big East. And uh, sure enough, Providence starts off the Big East schedule with three of their first four away from home. So we're going to learn a little bit about the Friars, certainly starting Saturday at Seton Hall. And you talked about Bryce Hopkins a little bit when you broke down how Providence has fared and performed over the first six weeks of the season and Hopkins averaging just under 15 points a game, a little over eight rebounds. And at 6'5", 220, maybe more of an undersized prototypical four, so to speak. But when I look at his stats, Kevin, and what he's done so far, I'm getting flashbacks a little bit to LaDante Hinton. Do you see any of that? Yeah, you know, he's a little bigger than that. He's more like 6'7", I'd say 220, 225, uh, you know, a, a physical-looking guy. He's very good going to the basket. So he's a little bur a little burlier than LaDante Henton. Doesn't shoot it from the three-point line as well as LaDante. I, I hate to use these comparisons because they're, you know, great, great players. Uh, but, you know, he, 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 he kind of glides around the court at, at a big size like a Carmelo. Uh, and inside, he's he's very physical, like a Ryan Gomes, who started Providence about 20 years ago. Uh, again, not even close to the same type of player, uh, but but he looks and carries himself that way. I think Big East fans will be really impressed with Bryce's skill set. He's Ed Cooley has always built his teams around a mismatch at that position, that small forward position, like a Ladante, uh, like an Alpha Diallo, like a Rodney Bullock. Uh, Bryce might he has a chance to be as good or better than any of those guys. Uh, again, because of his varied skill set and, uh, and and his body. He's a very uh, strong kid with a very quick first step. And mentioning the other two transfers as well, Devin Carter from South Carolina, who played for Frank Martin last season, and Noah Locke, you mentioned the grad transfer. Ed's got 21 points a game and seven rebounds between the two of them. How have they helped bridge the gap, so to speak, between some of the younger incumbent players with their experience and how they've been able to succeed so far in the early part of the year. Yeah, those two have started the majority of the games. Clifton Moore comes off the bench. He's, he's another transfer, a fifth-year guy who, who's very important because of his good size. But uh, Carter has been uh, better than I thought he would be. He's not much of a shooter, only shoots 30% from the three-point line, but, but is a willful shooter. He'll certainly fire him up. 
he is a plus athlete. Uh, their best dunker uh, can guard, you know, one through four. Uh, will will if he doesn't lead the Big East in steals, he, he's going to give it. A, he's going to give it a pretty good try. Uh, and, and whoever they deem Seton Hall's number one guy, probably Dawes, maybe uh, Devin Carter will be all over and be a very tough afternoon uh, for someone like him. Uh, Noah Locke has, has underperformed. He's only shot 32% from the three-point line. I, they'd love to see that up close to 40. But this is a kid who scored 1,200 college points uh, in the SEC and the ACC. He has only played the NCAA tournament one time. So you always a little leery of guys who score points on bad teams. Uh, so I think Noah's had a difficult time at times. Uh, fitting in and knowing exactly what he needs to be kind of a breakout game for him on the road at Rhode Island, Jaden. And, you know, you've been to the Ryan center um, when it rocks and, and it doesn't rock often, but when it does, and it certainly does every time Providence comes in, one of the tougher places to play uh, in the East and uh, no shock that it, that didn't phase Noah Locke at all. He played very well in that game. If he gets off to a good start and makes a shot or two, he becomes a weapon and a, and a weapon, a confident shooter. He needs to be a, a problem for opposing defenses, because if not, they really put an awful lot of pressure on Jared Bynum. And I know you're going to ask about him uh, in just a bit. Yeah, you led me right into that, Kevin, following up with Jared Bynum and also Ed Croswell as well. Has the arrival of the aforementioned three guys we just spoke about, Hopkins, Carter and Locke, how much has it eased the pressure? on Bynum in the backcourt, who has a four-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio to mitigate his lower scoring numbers this season, and Croswell, who's doing it all up front, shooting 63% from the field. Well, uh, it's been difficult for Jared. As you said, he's been more of a point guard, uh, averaging over five assists a game, which has been you know, really good. He's, he's, he's running the team, uh, you know, getting an awful lot of guys involved. That said, his shooting has to pick up. He's shooting 17% from the three-point line. That's not Jared Bynum. Uh, last year, he was in the high 30s, ended up being the Big East sixth man of the year. Uh, th- th- there's, a, there's a theory going around up here uh, that, you know, Jared Bynum went from the, you know, the sixth man to the number one guy on the scouting report, and that's affected his offense. I, I don't buy into that. I think the number one guy on the scouting report is is Bryce Hopkins. Uh, and, and teams have had real trouble, uh, you know, choking him off. Uh, Jared Bynum needs to be better offensively. It's as simple as that. He, he's a good player, uh, an established player, has had over 30 in several Big East games last year. Uh, to, to only get one or two field goals in some games this year, uh, I'm expecting Jared Bynum's productivity to certainly snap, snap up a little bit once uh, Big East play gets going. Talking to Kevin McNamara, formerly of the Providence Journal, now of KevinMacSports.com and the Kevin Mac Sports Hour. Kevin, you look at the Seton Hall team from a distance, and it's a stark contrast in year one under Shaheen Holloway compared to what we've grown accustomed to seeing under Kevin Willard. A different style of play as evidenced by Seton Hall's victory this past Sunday at the rack over Rutgers, a 45-43 grinder, barn burner of a game. Shaw wants to grind it out and be a defense-oriented team. What have you seen so far from the Pirates in what you've been able to see through the first few weeks of the year that suggests this could be a difficult matchup for Providence. Yeah. You, you know, uh, Jane, I, I obviously try to watch every big East team and 
I usually see them in most of their up games. You know, I mean, it's tough to turn on and see the blowouts. So I've seen Seton Hall in parts of the St. Peter's game. I was interested to see Shaheen against against his old program. I, I, I saw basically the entire Iowa game, saw a little bit of the Oklahoma game. Uh, Kansas wasn't much of a game, and I did see an awful lot of the Rutgers game, and you hit it right on the head. Uh, this is a good defensive team already, and that's tough to do uh, this early in the year. Uh, in this day and age of college basketball, where you're always integrating new people, not only onto your team, but into your starting lineup, um, and with a new coach on top of that. So I think this team is going to be a tough out all year long because they are going to be tough and defensive and rebound on a consistent basis. Uh, that said, I'm really curious to see who can step up and, and, and score consistently in the Big East. Uh, I've been underwhelmed by Kadari Richmond, and I like him. I, I think he's a very good player. Um, he, has not, he has not been uh, the sharpest. He's, also, th th these guys have not had as many minutes as I thought I had. And, and you can fill me in uh, on their health situation because I know they've had an awful lot of, of injuries. But uh, between Kadari, Alamir Dawes, uh, Dre Davis, and Tyree Samuel, I, I think they have enough offensive power right there. Um, but, uh, you know, it remains to be seen. Yeah, Seton Hall still has not played with a full complement. This past Sunday at Rutgers, as we record this on December 14th, three days before the tip-off of the Seton Hall-Providence game, this Sunday at Rutgers was the first game that Seton Hall had with a 10-man rotation. Alexis Yetna still hasn't played this season. The hope is to get him back after the new year. Trey Jackson has played sparingly off the bench at the wing as well. Casey Nadefo, who played for Shawa four years at St. Peter's, has fit in well and adjusted well on the defensive end and also offensively. So Seton Hall is playing a lot like a typical Holloway team where there's no real alpha where – there are four or five guys who could go off at any given moment. I, I liken it to the Tampa Bay Rays of college basketball, where you have the opener and it's a, a pitching by committee staff. That's been Shaz M.O. in terms of sharing the wealth with his, his team offensively. And you didn't know who the number one guy on the scouting report is. And the problem with that is it could be anybody. How does that make things difficult for Red Cooley to prepare? Well, and also because, like you said, they, they all have the ability to get their own shot. You know, uh, Tyree Samuel is, is a burly guy, but we, we all know he can put the ball on the floor. And uh, certainly Dawes, uh, Davis, uh, Kadari, they can all do that. Jameer Harris can do that. Um, you, you'd have to fill me in on Nadefo. I, I certainly remember the name. I, I, I know he's a wing player, but kind of an undersized big guy. I, that, that's another concern I would have without Yetna. Uh, they certainly rebounded and competed with with Rutgers. But what do they look like up front, uh, uh, Jaden, right now? Right now, they're starting the defo at the four and Samuel at the five, almost out of necessity. And we've seen Samuel for the last couple of years. He's more of a, a face-up four who can pick and pop you on the outside. So he's learning a new position almost by default because of the Yetna injury. And Tay Davis, Trey's brother, has tried to fit in as well coming off the bench. So it's been a work in progress. And Shah's been upfront about that. He's blatant about it taking a while to really sit in. I think this team will figure itself out as the year goes on, but they're learning with what they have. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I, 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 you know, they're an inter they're very similar to Providence. I think we can all agree on the top couple teams in the league, potentially 
and then there, there's, there's a there's a middle that uh, you know have have taken some losses, and Seton Hall has certainly taken some losses, as has Providence. But there's ability there, and they're going to be tough outs. And I think they all will, will have legitimate chances uh, when they do face you know Connecticut, Creighton, and Xavier, uh, which I think are the top three teams in the league. Uh, again, you never want to have to go into any, you don't want to go to Providence ever. It's a difficult place to play. You don't want to go into Seton Hall when those guys are all tuned up and ready to come at you physically and play that tough defense uh, that we've spoken about. I do have some concern about some of these big East teams like Seton Hall and Providence that I do think are pretty good, but, but their resumes right now are soft. And uh, you know, you're going to have to win a lot of big East games and a couple games against uh, the top teams in the league to be able to be in the mix for the NCAA tournament. So uh, that's a concern. That's a general concern I have for the entire league. And we're seeing that also with Villanova, just in the year one under Kyle Neptune had a little bit of a struggle in Portland in the PK 85 and now just starting to regain its footing in the first year post Jay Wright. Yeah. They have a legitimate reason because uh, the best player in, uh, clearly the best pro prospect in the league in Cam Whitmore wasn't playing. Uh, anyone who watches Villanova now and early, it, I thought it was just, uh, Jane, you and I aren't in this category because we, we follow and love college basketball so much, but there's so many people who have no idea what they're talking about early in the year, especially because they don't know who the best you know transfers are and who the best freshmen are. Uh, again, Cam Whitmore, well, first of all, uh, the very best player is 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 out because you know he hurt his uh, you know ruptured his Achilles last year. But uh, Cam Whitmore is is a big time player, and since he's been back, uh, you know they beat Oklahoma, uh, rolled rolled Penn and Boston College. Uh, they're going to be ready to go. Uh, Villanova, I don't know how good they can be, uh, but they have enough good players. There's no reflection on Kyle Neptune and his ability. Uh, I'm not saying that they're not going to miss Jay Wright. They miss him terribly. Uh, but Kyle Neptune, hey, look how good Fordham is. Kyle Neptune know what he, knows what he's doing. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And so we're talking to Kevin McNamara, KevinMacSports.com, and the Kevin Mac Sports Hour. What are the keys to victory for this Providence team, bringing it back full circle as the Friars prepare to invade the Prudential Center? What must Providence do to start Big East play 1-0 and pick up a crucial road win over Seton Hall? Uh, two things. I think they need to rebound and defend. And, you know, I'm not predicting uh, a similar, you know, rock fight like the Rutgers game was, but uh, I don't see either one of these teams getting to the mid seventies, for example. Uh, so I think they need to match because they're on the road. They need to match Seton Hall's intensity uh, off the glass, especially. And then they need to make some threes. Uh, it, it's not a great three point shooting team, but there's potential there. Uh, Locke, Bynum, uh, Bryce Hopkins, uh, Devin Carter to a degree. Uh, again, the freshman Jaden Pierre. They can all make threes, whether they can make them Saturday in the first Big East game of the season with some pressure. Uh, that'll be interesting for me to see. So I'd say uh, those two things are at the top of my list. I didn't mention the Friar bench, and, and now I will here since you brought up Jaden Pierre again. Ed Cooley spoke very highly of him at Big East Media Day when I was talking to Ed, said he has the potential to be an assistant coach now as a freshman. So what have you seen from him and from Alan Breed and Corey Floyd as well, the UConn transfer, and you, you talked about Rafael Castro, the big man. What have you seen from those guys to suggest that they are ready to grow and potentially have a breakout role 
as reserves in this BD season. Yeah, it, it's it's a talented group. This this is a more talented group than last year's Sweet 16 team, which is saying a lot. But uh, it, I'm talking pure basketball talent. It doesn't take into consideration, you know, the, the veteran toughness that is needed to win, and that that team had in in spades last year. Uh, Alan Breed uh, checks all the boxes. He's a junior. He's a man. Very physical. Uh, will not back down to anybody. Uh, will play every game. Maybe been Providence's most consistent player over the last three weeks. Uh, after that, th- there's some question marks. But again, they like the talent. Jaden Pierre is the purest point guard on the team by far. Uh, it, it's not even close. He leads the the team in his assist rate at 32 and a half. If anyone's going to make, uh, you know, like an eye popping pass. It's Jaden Pierre. He's a very talented player. Ed Cooley thinks he can be an all-league point guard, which says a lot in a league like the Big East. Not this year, of course, but through the course of his career. Uh, Clifton Moore is the first big guy off the bench. Uh, I think he's overlooked. He's a very important player. He's a man, 6'11", 240, started. uh, He's a suburban Philly kid, started uh, at Indiana, transferred to LaSalle. Some people thought he was the best big guy in the A-10 last year. uh, can step out and make a three. He's a very good shot blocker, anchors the defense when he's on the court. Uh, he can play alongside Ed Croswell. Uh, Ed is a little, uh, he's a starting center. He's a little short for, for a big E center at 6'8 and a strong 240. So if Ed Cooley needs a bigger team, he'll come in with Clifton Moore and the combination of, of a Clifton Moore at 6'11, a Bryce Hopkins at 6'7, 225, uh, you know, Devin Carter, uh, Ed Croswell makes Providence very big and a team that can dominate the glass. Uh, you mentioned Rafael Castro. He's kind of like a, he's a wild card because if you see him, Jaden, you're like, wow, you know, where is this guy? Where did he come from? Uh, he's, he has that type of natural ability. Don't know, but he's like, he's a young Colt. Don't quite know how he could transfer, you know, that type of game could transfer to a game like Saturdays where it's a rock fight, where you can't make mistakes, uh, where there's an awful lot of veteran players, probably not the best, uh, you know, game to see Rafael Castro play 20 minutes, but he will play and he'll make one or two eye popping plays where you, where you ask yourself, how old is that guy? And, and he's a, he's a redshirt freshman, uh, went up against, you know, Nate Watson and Noah Harkler and Ed Croswell last year, really, really, uh, fine tuned his body and, uh, certainly improved his game. Talking to Kevin McNamara, formerly of the Providence Journal, now of the Kevin Mac Sports Hour and KevinMacSports.com, and also the color analyst for Brown University games. And we'll get into that as we have one more before we let you go. Just previewing the landscape in the Ocean State, Brown under Mike Martin with some big wins in the non-conference season, including one over Bryant and Jared Grasso's group that is poised to make noise in their first year in the America East. And also URI in year one under Archie Miller. What does the basketball landscape look like now outside of Providence in the rest of the 401? Well, I tell you, uh, Jaden, you know, I like to say we because I'm a Rhode Island basketball guy and um, I, I certainly want to see all the programs do really well. I, I think we're blessed with four really good coaches right now. And we've had some good coaches over the years, needless to say. Uh, but this group, this current group, uh, I think Archie Miller is going to do a very good job at Rhode Island. He was the best coach in the A-10 when he was at Dayton. And it wasn't really, I shouldn't say it wasn't close. There's always good coaches in the A-10. But Archie uh, had Dayton going at a very high level before he left for Indiana. I, I thought he had a raw deal at Indiana. 
Uh, Indiana's a strange place. If you're not one of theirs, uh, it, it's tough. He was an outsider. And to get uh, let go uh, and bought out uh, in a pandemic, I, I thought was just crazy. I, and to talk about classless, number one, but also it just shows where their priorities are. But um, uh, Indiana's loss, I think, is Rhode Island's gain. They're going to struggle this year. They really are not very talented. Um, you know, typically for an Archie Miller team, they'll play tough. They'll be a tough out. Again, uh, they need more talent. Archie Miller knows that his assistant coaches are a good group. I think they'll get it turned around fairly quickly. Uh, Brown is an interesting team, not as talented as they were last year. Um, they played a really tough schedule out of the shoot. went at Vermont, Holgate at home, and UMass Lowell, uh, and they ended up losing four of their first fives. Since then, uh, they've won like, uh, you know, five of the last six, including, like you said, at Bryant, at Rhode Island, two really difficult places to win. Uh, I don't think that they're an Ivy League contender. I, I'd like to think that they can contend to make the Ivy League playoff. Uh, the Ivy League this year is is interesting. Uh, Cornell is off to a really good start, and I didn't have Cornell in the top four. I know everyone always has Yale, Princeton, and Harvard there, and they look good as well. So, uh, as usual, the Ivy people say, "Well, you got to make the Ivy tournament to finish in the top four of that league." is difficult. It really is. And that's been Mike Martin's uh, bugaboo in his time at Brown because he's had some good teams. And then you mentioned Bryant. Bryant switching to the America East this year. Uh, hey, if they were in the NEC, I wouldn't say they'd walk to the title, but I think they'd walk to the title. Uh, in the America East, uh, UMass Lowell is very good. I saw them last night at Rhode Island. Uh, they lost at the buzzer uh, in overtime, as a matter of fact. They had the game in regulation, um, and they, you know, they came in 11-1. and one. And then uh, Vermont is is always good. I've seen Vermont. They played at at um, they played against Brown early this year. They have a losing record right now, Vermont. But uh, Vermont has played a crazy schedule. If you have a chance to look at their schedule, Jaden, it, it's unbelievable. They want coast to coast. Uh, they always have trouble finding any any you know sane individual to go up to to Burlington to play them up there. So mm -hmm. they went on the road. They played at St. Mary's, uh, at Cal Fullerton. And at Southern Cal, uh, those are three tough games, don't you think, right out of the shoot? Right. And then I saw them in the first game after that at Mohegan Sun against Iona. Yeah, I was going to keep going. They also played Iona, Yale, and uh, and Colgate. All of those teams are upper level. So I'm not surprised that Vermont is six and seven. When they get in league play, I think we all know uh, that Vermont is going to be a very tough out. So those three teams at the top of the America East, uh, Lowell, Vermont, and Bryant, I think is going to be a dogfight for that America East title. But uh, Jared Grasso has a very talented team. When you get transfers like Earl Timberlake and uh, and and Doug Edert from uh, from St. Peter's, um, uh, already have a win on the road at Syracuse, so that speaks to their ability. Nobody knows New England basketball or Rhode Island basketball quite like Kevin McNamara, the longtime prophet and journal scribe now of KevinMacSports.com and the Kevin Mac Sports Hour, sharing his insights with us on the Daily Dose of Hoops podcast before Providence tips off its Big East slate on Saturday, December 17th against Seton Hall. 12.30 tip in Newark if you're looking to make the trip down or across the river if you're on our side of the globe. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on, spending some time with us. We'll see you soon. And if not this weekend, have a very happy holidays. You too, Jade, and to everybody uh, listening. It's I know it's the NFL, and uh, God bless them. But it's 
time for the real college basketball season to kick in. So get out and enjoy a game. Appreciate it. Amen, my friend. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks again, Kevin. You're welcome. And we're back on the Daily Dose of Hoops podcast. Jaden Daly here with you previewing Seton Hall's Bid East opener Saturday afternoon, December 17th at the Prudential Center against Providence. We've already covered what to expect from the Friars when Kevin McNamara joined us moments ago from KevinMacSports.com and the Kevin Mac Sports Hour, formerly of the Providence Journal. Now we'll get caught up on the Pirates and get some observations from someone who's seen the program for many years going back before Kevin Willard. I'm not trying to age our next guest. <laughs> he needs no introduction, but he'll, he'll get one anyway. He also hosts his own podcast called Pirates Talk, in which he gets further into the pulse and the issues surrounding the Seton Hall program. He covers just about every Pirate home game his schedule permits him to. And that, of course, is the one and only Matt Lachlan, who joins us now. Matt, thanks so much for coming out and spending some time with us. Really appreciate it. Well, Jaden, it's uh, me who appreciates the invite to uh, join you and your listeners on on the podcast. Uh, I'm really excited uh, to speak with you and discuss Seton Hall basketball with you. And yeah, there are a few gray hairs, a few stripes on the sleeve in terms of how long I've been around Seton Hall, but it's all been good and uh, you know, really excited for what Shaheen Holloway ultimately will bring to the table. And Shaheen, like yourself, a Seton Hall alumnus, he has that in his corner. And coming back as a head coach after spending so long as an assistant with Kevin Willard, Matt, when Shaheen got the job this past March, he mentioned that he couldn't mess this up. You don't say no to home. How much through the first six weeks of the season has the allure of coaching at his alma mater and the higher expectations that he's set for himself as a result of that factored into how much he's gotten out of this team and how much he will continue to demand throughout the year? Well, he's incredibly intense, as you know, and he demands excellence. I did not cover him closely when he was at St. Peter's, so I don't know what it was like after games, et cetera, when he spoke with the media. But you can see at Seton Hall that his quest for perfection, understanding you won't get it, but you'll settle for excellence, does wear on him, does drive him. I mean, his comments after the game indicate he knows there's more there, and there's always the concern about the next game and and how he'll get there and how this team will improve incrementally so there's no doubt the passion is there and just the way he played having seen him as a player and his intensity there that clearly is on display as he moves along the sideline and I think his team is feeding off of that certainly defensively I don't know if this year's team will be able to get to a point offensively where you can say Shaheen is seen in the five or the eight or the ten that they put out on a given game or a given moment uh, is reflected there, but certainly on the defensive side, it is. And you mentioned the limitations so far of the Seton Hall offense, Matt and Shaheen said so much after Seton Hall's last game, a 66 49 win this past Wednesday over Drexel, where the identity has come in spurts on both sides. And he's mentioned all along that the offense will be a work in progress. Now, you didn't get to see much of Wednesday's game, but this past Sunday at the rack when Seton Hall won a 45-43 barn burner over, burner over Rutgers, a rock fight in, in a sense, a very physical game 
it was more in tune with what the Pirates have done this first month and a half of the year. What are your observations from this group that from what you've seen that suggests that the identity is coming and it's just a matter of when? Well, it certainly was on display in that game. And you're right on Wednesday against Drexel. They allowed the Dragons to get back into it a little bit in the second half, make it a little bit of an uneasy stretch there in the second half. But, you know, overall, I think Seton Hall's athleticism and their cohesion was best displayed against Rutgers. And maybe it was the opponent, maybe it was the building, maybe it was the circumstances just starting to build. But I was very encouraged by what they showed there because that's going to be their hallmark. First off, it was his hallmark at St. Peter's. I mean, they would just punch you in the mouth defensively uh, and, and they don't mind that kind of a game. And he's got the kind of players who can play that way. And I think it's easier to come on the defensive side. And, and I understand he wants the consistency. I don't blame him. He's about to step up. The team's about to step up and get into Big East play. And we know there are very few easy nights. I would say no easy nights. I guess I probably should just to show some respect to all the all the teams. But some nights are more difficult than others. That's for sure. Some opponents more difficult than others. So I think he knows what lies ahead. And I think he was very happy with what they were able to do against Rutgers. And he would have liked to seen a more sustained effort against Drexel. But he didn't get it. But, you know, they were up by so much. And, uh, you know, it's just hard sometimes to play that way. But overall, Rutgers was very encouraging to me because it showed their athleticism, their hustle. Uh, They went, they got so many rebounds at the end when that game was in its balance. And they were able to beat Rutgers to the point. So I thought that's, that's a great sign because defense should never rest in the game. And uh, over the course of a season, assuming they retain some good health. So I think it will put them in good stead. I, I just think that this work in progress offensively is going to slow them down for a while. I don't know that, as I said, if it'll ever get to the point where it can be better than the defense, it's more of a weapon than the defense. I think they're going to hang their hat on the defensive end of their game and then see what they can do offensively. But I think all the newness, the injuries, he's new, players are new, players are getting to know each other. What's their role? Coach, what's my role? They're all trying to figure that out. But it starts for real now on Saturday against Providence uh, because, you know, you want to work for a good position in the conference and see where that lies when the tournament gets seated and then where you go beyond that. Talking to Matt Laughlin, Pirates Talk podcast host on top of his radio work with the New Jersey Devils as Seton Hall opens its Speed East season this Saturday against Providence and Matt the Pirates could be shorthanded in that contest. Femi Odakale suffered an ankle injury in the end of the first half Wednesday against Drexel, came back in the second half, did not play, but he was on the bench with a boot on his ankle. Holloway was uncertain as to whether or not he would be available. And it's just another obstacle in the way that he'll have to juggle in a season that's already been rife with short rotations and figuring out one different piece of the puzzle when another one pops out. How much has that really challenged the Seton Hall team's growth? Shaw said at media day that he only had seven healthy guys, and he's only had a full complement of players for maybe two or three games, and not even because Alexis Yetna is still out and probably won't return until after the new year. Yeah, and, and, and I think all Seton Hall fans are hoping that he's back shortly after the new year, but there's uncertainty there. Well, I think it's had a tremendous impact. Uh, the continuity just can't be there. Players 
would tell you, and you know this, you've been around the game long enough. Oh yeah, you know, give me the minutes. But the reality is there's a reason why certain players get the key minutes, the late minutes and the starters minutes and, and others don't. And it's because they just can't handle it. They can do it for a game or two, but they can't do it long-term, but they have a role to play on the team. It'll be key minutes coming off the bench, but it's in short bursts. And so roles don't become defined because players are in and out of the lineup. Uh, you, you don't get that trust, that chemistry. Uh, you know, where's the guy going to be? Is he going to get me the ball? If I get it to him here, will I get it back? If, if I make this move on the defensive end, is he going to know his assignment? Is he going to cover me if I go for some, uh, you know, if I could try to make a play defensively, will will I have my back covered? So all of those things factor in. And if you have a half a second delay, then everything gets busted up. So I, I think that the lack of a full, healthy squad is showing and telling as to why Seton Hall has at times looked like really wonky out there on the court, as you know. Uh, of both sides, but again, defensively they've been better. So I think it, I think it's a real factor. I think they're going to need you know Femi to come back, if not Saturday, certainly shortly thereafter. I mean, he just he has a toughness about him, and I love he chirps all the time. I don't know if I've seen a Seton Hall player chirp as often and regularly as he does. I kind of like it though. Uh, so he he represents a lot for Seton Hall. So hopefully he's back soon. But yeah, until. Until Shaw can figure out who he's got, you know, then it, it, there's going to be some moments where they're not going to look as strong as they possibly could. Now, another question mark going into the year, Matt, was how the additions in the transfer portal, Femi Odakale being one of them having come from Pitt last season, would mesh with Kevin Willard's incumbent talent that stayed in South Orange after he left for Maryland. And so far, for the most part, the – Older transfers that have come in, Odakale, also Dre Davis coming in from Louisville, as well as Casey Nadefo, who played for Holloway four years at St. Peter's, and Alamir Dawes, who went to a pair of NCAA tournaments at Clemson. They've all been impact players and commanded the majority of the minutes. Davis, in particular, coming off the bench and being a blue guy that not many people knew going into the season, but have come to appreciate and, and are now baptized to, as well as Nadefo, who was translated from a higher level coming from the Mac, but going up against players like Oscar Shibwe and Zach Eady in the NCAA tournament as St. Peter's made its run to the Elite Eight. How has that experience translated with guys like Tyree Samuel, with Trey Jackson, Kadari Richmond, Jameer Harris? Well, I think once they... And listen, they played 11 games, so it's, it's got to be close to coming to fruition. But once they do get to know each other fully, once Shaheen can establish the rotation he wants, and again, we've talked about the injuries preventing that from happening to a 100% degree, I think the experience is going to be invaluable. And I think the maturity, I, I was wondering early in the year when the offensive struggles were there, not only were they understanding what shot was running at times because there was a lot of standing around and one-on-one play and you got to get that ball moving to create some space, especially, you know, without a true point guard, if they could just open up some spots and use their athleticism to drive by virtue of passing the ball and creating a lane, I think that will help them and then hit some shots. 
uh, from the outside, uh, you know, I think that's a, a route to success. But I guess what I'm saying is as long as the experience of this maybe being my last year of college hoops and I want it for me versus I want it for us, as long as that doesn't show up, I think they'll be fine. And the maturity should help them down the stretch. They've got, as you mentioned, players who have NCAA experience. They've got players who've been there, done that, seen it. They've been through the ups and downs. And, and they should have the in, inner strength to be able to withstand the pressures that will come their way in, in the Big East. But it just the, – the danger, I guess, is you do have a lot of players from different programs – who are coming trying to shine one last time. And if it becomes about them again and not us, then the team is in trouble. I haven't seen that yet. I just, I just see they're trying to figure out who they are again, what Shaheen wants when, and I think they're trying to impress him a little bit too, you know, I, because they want the minutes and, and they want the opportunity to play a larger role. So is it in the flow? Is it, all right, I'm willing to put my game on the back burner a little bit for the bigger game. So I think that's still a bit of a work in progress, to use a term that he uses all the time. <laughs> Talking to Matt Lachlan, Pirates Talk podcast host, radio voice of the New Jersey Devils, Seton Hall and Providence, tipping off the Big East season for both sides this Saturday at the Prudential Center. Now, Matt, this season was always going to be a contrast from the Willard style to Shaz more intense mannerisms and style of play that we've already chronicled in this segment. How much is that going to help them in the Big East schedule, especially early on? You have this Providence team coming in, and Ed Cooley plays very defense oriented as well. So it's not necessarily a true mirror image, but it's a like minded team who plays a similar style with experienced players as well. And then you have teams like St. John's earlier in conference season, that game on New Year's Eve in another couple of weeks from when we record this, how much does the defensive mentality potentially play in the Seton Hall's hands to maybe do some early damage in the first quarter of the conference schedule? Oh, I think it, it's a huge factor and can be a, a big reason why they get off to a little better start than people suspect they will simply because they're going to get in your face and they're not going to make it easy on you. I, I think on Saturday, we may very well see somewhat of a duplicate, maybe slightly higher scoring, but somewhat of a duplicate of the Rutgers game. I don't know that we get to 60 points. I think we'll get into the fifties, <laughs> but I'm not sure we get into the sixties, um, but that's how Seton Hall is going to play. Seton Hall is not going to get into that, any kind of a running gun. They're not going to match baskets with you. They're going to make you work. So I think, in this conference, with their lack of size, but with their athleticism, that 40 minutes of hell is going to serve them quite well. I think teams have to be ready for it. I don't know that every team will be ready for it because it's hard, man. Like, you know, every possession is just tough and you're going to get knocked out of your flow. You're not going to necessarily shoot well. Your turnovers are going to be high. It's a very frustrating style to play against. And I think it's going to serve Seton Hall quite well. Uh, again, they just can't match the offense that other teams throw at them. And they don't have the size either. So it's going to have to be, we're going to pick you up 10 feet off the inbound. And we're not going to make it easy for you on any possession. And then hopefully they're able to feed off of that. So I, I don't know that they're going to be a top 
five, top six team in the Big East, a little over 500 would be, to me, a successful year. Uh, but I, I, I think that they have the potential certainly to do that and throw a scare into a lot of the better teams. So not to get too far ahead of ourselves, should Seton Hall not make the NCAA tournament and instead end up in the NIT, you're in, of the opinion and in the camp that it is a step in the right direction given the adversity and the need to adapt to a new style. You're okay with playing in a, in a lesser postseason. So yeah, I mean, it would be disappointing because the expectation at Seton Hall under Kevin has been NCAA appearances, but I think it I think it would be. Now, Chav, he's the third voice in this conversation, would say, you're crazy, man. Like, it's, it's the NCAA or nothing. But, you know, I'm not sure what the strength of this conference is compared to past years. We know where it lies. It's certainly at UConn, and then it drops off from there. They're clearly one of the top teams in the country. But I don't know that, you know, how many teams they'll get into the tournament. And so when you start to parse who might, who those teams might be, and you go, okay, Marquette, and, you know, I know, I think Creighton will bounce back, but boy, they've had some serious struggles, right? And then you start to say, well, where, where are they going to get six in? I don't know. Is Seton all going to be in the top six? I don't know. Anything can happen in sports. That has been established throughout history. But yeah, so a long-winded answer to your question, because I didn't really think of it, about it in those terms. Yeah, I guess an NIT bid would be a good thing, but it would be disappointing uh, because higher hopes certainly exist overall on the campus. But given the defections, and I mean by graduation, given the injuries, given the newness, given all of that turmoil, which may be too strong of a word, but I think it's true. Yeah, an NIT bid would be certainly acceptable now bringing it back to the president and what lies ahead in Providence Matt a defensive team who plays a little undersized Ed Croswell the starting center is a perfect matchup I feel for Casey Nadefo Providence will try to run offense for Bryce Hopkins on the wing Jared Bynum Devin Carter and Noah Locke in the backcourt this is a, a team that Seton Hall could probably match up with much better down low with Nadefo and Samuel and maybe Jackson if he gets involved. What are some of the keys to victory for the Seton Hall team on Saturday? Well, I think you you know you mentioned Nadefo, and I think he had to me a coming out party against Omarui and Rutgers, and he took him completely out of his game. He had some help from Tyrese early, but then Samuel got into foul trouble, and it was in Defo's ball to carry so to speak and boy I just thought he was terrific you know it's a different level he's playing at with all due respect to the Mac it's now the Big East uh and in that matchup against one of the Big Ten's better interior guys so I thought it was uh, as I said a coming out party for him and I think it gave him a huge boost in confidence and so I think he's going to be the key can he control help control the interior game make it difficult for providence to score some interior points force them to shoot from the outside and then you know the pirates will have to defend there but i think he's one of the keys and also kadari richmond i know he's asked to do a lot it's not a role that he was born to play as an orchestrator you know but he's got to be that guy he's got to find players he's got to pass and go and then use his athleticism you know give go set a screen pick and roll and let's see what you can do if he can 
get it in his mind that I'm going to dominate, he's such a better player and can be a more important player for Seton Hall in the Big East. He's got the body. He just has to have the mindset. And I think if that happens, then it opens up some things. You know, you've got to respect the driving, which should open up the outside shot. And, you know, Seton Hall's not been the best shooting team through the first 11 games. So if they can hit some shots, it works well. So I think those two, I think it's going to be in Defo, and I think it's going to be Richmond. And that's probably the story for most of the season. And, you know, you can't forget Tyree Samuel. If he can hit a couple of shots, stay out of foul trouble, they'll be fine. I talked to the Matt Lachlan Pirates talk and his work as the radio voice of the New Jersey Devils. And we'll shift gears a little bit and get into what's happening on the ice in the Garden State. This is a year that probably most Tri-State hockey fans weren't expecting with the Devils leading the Metropolitan Division through the middle of December in a year where Lindy Ruff was rumored to be on the hot seat. But they've gotten great play from Jack Hughes. Nico Heischer has adapted very well in his second season of being the captain. Jesper Bratt has come on strong as the third man. What's this year in New Jersey been like for you, Matt? I know that they're coming off a hard-fought loss Thursday night to the Flyers 2-1, to one, but all in all, the 13-game win streak earlier in the season, it's been a much better year probably than everybody would have expected going in. No question about it. It has been so enjoyable because there was so much heartache over the previous five years. Now there was the one year in the playoffs in 2018, and that was magical with Taylor Hall carrying the load as MVP of the league and just having a year for the ages. So that was fun too, but they just snuck into the playoffs and then they fell off again the last several years. So it has been a joy to see everyone smiling. The fan base is engaged again and everyone's a little happier. It is a bit of a surprise, no question about it, because they finished 37 points out of a playoff spot last year. That's an enormous amount of points. There were reasons for it. They shored up some of those in goal, particularly. They're a better defensive team, both because of what they've done in goal, but players they've acquired to play defense. There's been a maturity on the part of the players you mentioned, another year older. They're still young. And Jack Hughes is 21, Nico Heischer's 23, he'll be 24 in January, and Jesper Brad is just 24. So they're still young, but they've played long enough that they know what it takes to win in this league. Now, as they are challenged by other teams, because suddenly, oh, wait a minute, that Devils team's not going to be an easy game, they've noticed that they've got to elevate their, their game. And lately, they've played well. I mean, the game against the Flyers was a heck of a game. I mean, they had almost 50 shots. They made Carter Hart work his tail off and he was brilliant. There were fights. I mean, it was a good game. It just, you know, they didn't score. Same thing played well against the Rangers, just not well enough losing in overtime played, you know, pretty well against Dallas Four one was the final, but two were into an empty net. So it was right there. If they could just get that extra break. So, you know, it's a little bit of tough going right now, but it's been a blast. Now, if the season ended today, Friday, December 16th, as we record this, the Devils would get the Rangers in the first round of the playoffs. How intense and how awesome would that be, given the struggles in New Jersey and the longstanding history between both of those teams? Me, as a Ranger fan, would actually <laughs> look forward to it. <laughs> oh, I think everybody would, right? Uh, it would be uh, the 
And, and as you know, you know, hockey doesn't get the coverage that it probably deserves. You know, it, it's kind of like an oh, by the way. And so when the Rangers are good, that helps. Then if you get a team that's got some young, exciting players like the Devils, that will help. And then you put the rivalry and the history of it and match them up in the first round. I, I think they would get a lot of coverage. I think the metropolitan area would be engaged. You'd have that group that cheers for the team on Long Island that wouldn't care who won or lost. They probably would cheer for the Devils because those Islander fans really don't like the Rangers. So uh, <laughs> there might be a few of their fans, but they might be in a playoff battle of their own. And so they have some something else to worry about. No, it would be awesome, right? I mean, I, I think we're at a stage where the Devils sure, certainly should be at the start of a run of 10 or 15 years where they're going to be a team that can contend for a championship. Not easy to win, as we know. And the Rangers with some of their young players and some of their veteran stars and the resources that they always make available, they're going to be in the mix, a great goalie. So uh, we could, this could be the start of an intense rivalry for a decade or more, and there's nothing more exciting than that. And the league has finally decided that it would be good for the league if they could create more games among the rivals as opposed to having an even schedule. So instead of playing the Rangers four times and sometimes only three because of the introduction of Seattle to the league in 32 teams, which is ridiculous that you would play the Rangers three times. Looks like we'll see some more games. Not sure when they're still working on that, but nothing like nothing like the Rangers Devils rivalry. Good times in the tri-state hockey area. Good times in the tri-state college hoops area. Matt Lachlan handles both of those with Pirates Talk and his radio work as the voice of the New Jersey Devils. He'll be at the Rock for both games on Saturday, 12.30 tip-off against the Friars, and then in the press box as the Devils host the Florida Panthers at 7.30. Matt, always a pleasure talking to you. We'll see you Saturday. You got it, Jaden. Thanks for the invite. My pleasure. Anytime.